Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. If you weren't here last week, this summer we're doing a series on the Psalms and looking at these as these prayers from the heart. And last week I suggested if, if I could sum up the message of the Psalms in two words, it's God's invitation to bring it, basically. It's the Psalms are God saying, bring it. Whatever you got, bring it to me. Pour out your hearts to me. I want to hear what's on your heart. Whatever it is, I have room for it. And I'm showing you that by giving you the Psalms in your sacred scriptures. And so we're going to be looking at these, these prayers uh, from the heart. And what does it look like for us to, to bring our hearts to the Lord in prayer? And, you know, a lot of us have been at this Christian thing for many years. And we've been praying for many, many years. And so I recognize I'm, I'm speaking into, in many cases, a very experienced group of people. And yet I, I think even if we've been at this for 50, 60, 70 years, there's still a fresh invitation to bring our hearts before the Lord and, and hopefully a, a, a deeper invitation than what we're currently experiencing. So that's my hope. Um, I mentioned, Mark, Mark had mentioned this book a year ago. It's called Where Prayer Becomes Real. And I have always wanted to be, since he recommended it, I've been wanting to read it. So I used this psalm series as an excuse to read this book. And so I would recommend it to you. I'll be quoting from it, especially today. Um, but I want to start, uh, before we get into this beautiful psalm, uh, I want to give you two quotes 
Uh, and that's working good. Two quotes from this book. Uh, this quote I heard about 10 years ago from John Coe. I've always loved it. If you want a boring prayer life, spend it trying to be good in prayer rather than being honest. And so I want to just start by having you think about what, what is my prayer life like? How do I experience my prayer life? Um, is it exciting? Is it compelling? Is it interesting? Uh, or is prayer kind of, I experience a lot of shoulds. There's things that I should be praying for. And uh, I don't know if I really want to pray for those things. Uh, I experience a lot of distraction. I'm trying to pray, but my mind's going off. It's, it's really not a particularly exciting experience. It's kind of boring. And if that's your experience, chances are you are trying to be good in prayer. And what I, what I want to ask us today is, if, what if prayer is not about being good? What if prayer is about being honest, first and foremost? Okay? And then the other quote uh, from this that I, I love is this. So simple. Pray as if grace were real. Pray as if the gospel were real. And this seems really simple, but um, most of us in this room, I think, believe the gospel. Okay? And let me remind you what the gospel is. The gospel is there is now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ there, God looks at you with no condemnation. The gospel is this. While we were sinners, right, Christ died for us. Not when we cleaned ourselves up. Not once we got our act together. But while we were sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel is it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is a gift of God. It's not of your own. It's not of works. No one can boast. This is about no condemnation by the sheer grace of God. Okay, most of us in this room say, I believe that. That's what I think is getting me to eternal life, my belief in that. But my experience is that for many of us, there's a, there's a disconnect between that objective belief in the Bible and our prayer lives. Once we actually move into our life of prayer, we experience a God who's disappointed with us, who is um, maybe judging a lot of what our lives look like, who's who is annoyed at us, maybe. And so we do a lot of work of self-talk and trying to figure out, how do I, how do I pray to this God in a way that's going to work? And we don't actually experience the gospel in our praying lives. And so what I want us to explore today is, what if, what if your life of prayer, which hopefully is something you do all the time, what if your life of prayer is a place where you're consistently experiencing the gospel? where you're bringing your messy, broken, imperfect, sinful self to God in a context where there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ? What if every day you are having experiences of the good news because every day you're coming to the Lord in prayer? Okay? What would that look like for you? That's what I think this psalm uh, invites us into. And so I want to look at um, th these first two weeks are kind of overview weeks. And um, today we look at Psalm 139. I would think um, one of the most beloved psalms, certainly I love this psalm. This psalm has meant a lot to me. Many of you are very familiar with this, and it gets at what I was talking about, I think, in a beautiful way. And I just want to acknowledge that we're so overly familiar with psalms like this. I want you to try to hear it again, hear, hear the ideas in a fresh way, all right? So I'm going to walk through it pretty quickly, and then I'm going to suggest a couple takeaways for us today. All right, so let's walk through it. Verse 1, I would suggest this is the topic sentence. This is the theme of the psalm. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Okay, That's what this psalm is all about. 
You've searched me and you know me. And the next like 16 verses are basically David's imaginative, creative exploration of the meaning of that first verse. How has this happened? And all the comprehensive ways that this is true, okay? So let me just start talking you through it. First, if you look at verse 2 through 6, he, he's saying, God, you are all-knowing. You know everything about me. You are intimately and comprehensively familiar with everything about me, okay? And he, he says, you know all my actions, right? Everything I do. Look at verse 2. You know what I sit and when I rise, look at verse 3, you discern my going out and my lying down, okay? These, these are the, the daily things I do and everything in between them, right? Every action I perform throughout my day on Sunday morning, on Monday morning, on Tuesday afternoon, on Wednesday night, right? You see every single thing that I do, right? Okay? And not just see my actions, of course, but he says, um, you also see my words, Right? You, you, you hear every word that comes out of me. This is, look at verse 4. He actually says something more than you hear my words. Look at verse 4. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Okay? Wow. So he's not just saying, you hear everything I say. He's saying something much more profound than that. Before I say it, you already know what I'm going to say. Okay, so I want you to just like, you know, Think back the last month. Think of some of the things you've said the last month. The good things you've said, the loving things, the kind things, uh, and the not-so-great things you've said, right? The swear words that come out, the off-color joke, the, the yelling at your kids, or the, you know, the things, all these things, some things you've said that are beautiful, some things you would pay a lot to take those back and put them back in your mouth, right? Okay, God never hears you say something and responds like, whoa, whoa, what was that? Dave, what, wow, where did that come from? Right? That's, God never has that experience of our words. He knows what we're going to say before we say it. Right? You know my actions. You know my words. And then, of course, even deeper than that, you know my thoughts. <laughs> right? Look at verse 2. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. The Lord is in heaven. That seems far away. Lord, you get inside and you see all the stuff that goes on in here. I was thinking of Psalm 33 this week. From heaven, right, from afar, from heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all. Wow, we'll talk about that in a second. Who considers everything they do, right? You see my actions. You know my words. You even know that thing that I don't want anybody to know, you know it, right? We all have heard this before, but this is what David's exploring. You are all-knowing. And then beginning in verse 7, he starts talking about how God is, I would say, all-present, right? He basically explores, like, if I, where could I go, right, and escape your presence? There's nowhere I can go. If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I go down to the depths, right? If I go east, if I go west, Today, if he was living, David would say, if I were to settle on the far side of Star Arendelle, which is 12 billion light years away, right? If you got on a rocket and traveled at the speed of light for 12 billion years, that's the farthest star we know about, okay? If I was on the far side of that star, uh, even there, <laughs> you, you see me. I cannot escape your presence. You are everywhere. 
right? You know everything about me. You see it. You're everywhere. I cannot possibly escape you. Uh, And then in verse 13, I think he says something even more profound. Not only do you know me, not only do you see everything, not only can I escape your presence, but actually you created me. (laughs) You made me. Verse 13, it begins, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb, right? God never has the experience in a hospital, in a delivery room where a baby comes out and he goes, oh my gosh, that's a beautiful baby, right? That's amazing, right? Long before that moment, the psalm saying, God is at work creating me shaping me, fashioning me into the thing that becomes, the thing that everyone gets to see that comes out of the womb. And, and David used three words to describe parts of us that God created that I just want to sit with. them. I mean, we could spend all, all day talking about these verses. But he says, um, let's see, where is this? Uh, verse 15, he says, my frame was not hidden from you. Okay, I think frame, and it says, your eyes saw my unformed body. So, of course, God created our, our physical frame, right? And I remember this when we had our three girls. Uh, we signed up for the what to expect when you're expecting uh, emails. And every week, they give you a, an update on your baby's development, the, their frame, their physical development in the womb. So, right, today, your baby is the size of a pea. And already it has its 10 fingers and 10 toes. And, and then today, your baby is the size of a grape. And the, the sex organs are already present. All the eggs are there if your baby's a, you know, all, all these just week by week, the, the, the physical development of a baby. And David's saying, you, you shaped all of that, Lord, right? My physical being, you, you formed, you created. But not just that. I love this. I want to go back to verse 13. I already read it. But not just my physical frame, but he says, you created my inmost being, right? Not so much the physical part of me, but that, that inner core that makes me me, God. You created that. You made me the way that I am. And again, our, my experience of having three girls, I have seen the creation of the inmost being by God, okay? Three children, all daughters, same parents, same environment for the most part, same opportunities for the most part. All three of them are so unique and different. That has very little to do with their environment or their parents, right? They, they come out and they are so, Josie's so different than Cora, who is so different than Adele. And every single one of us, right? Their inmost being in terms of the things that they're passionate about, uh, in terms of uh, the things they'll struggle with, in terms of how they navigate relationships, their giftedness, all of it is so unique and individual. And God created the inmost being of every single person in this room, every single person in the world, right? Now, some of us, I think, have a very complicated relationship with our inmost being, don't we? There's things we love about ourselves. There's things we don't like about ourselves that we can't change. It's part of who we are, <laughs> right? Uh, it's a complicated relationship. But God says, I made it. I made the you that makes you you. And I love in this psalm that God's words for that you that makes you is fearfully and wonderfully made. Right? You are fearfully, you're wonderfully made. 
So God, you created my, my, my frame. You created my inmost being, my inner being. And then one more thing that it's easy to pass over. Not only that, but you created what I'd say, you created my days, okay? You created the days of my life. Look at verse 16, the second half of that. Again, profound comment. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be, okay? Just as you know a word before it comes out of my lips, all my days were written in your book before they came to be. So you, you didn't just create me and then set me off in this kind of wild adventure where who knows what's going to happen. You, you also created my story. You created how my life is going to go, okay? You've created so much, all that is to say, about me, all right? So I know this is very familiar territory, but it's, it's crazy to think that there's a being that this is true of. You know everything about me. I cannot possibly escape your presence. And in fact, you created the me that is me. And so David ends that sort of comprehensive exploration in verse 17 by saying, man, if, if there's a being like that, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains. I said, wow, what kind of a being is that? And what a wise and, gosh, I can't imagine the thoughts that are in your head, God. You know everything, right? Okay, are you still with me? Okay, so I want to pause right there. Because this psalm is about to take, at least for him, what felt like a very unexpected turn. <laughs> okay, and so before we read it, I, I want to just stop and say, okay, most of us, what I just said is like Christianity 101, obviously. Creator knows it all, created me, right, all that. The question is, what do we do with the reality that I just walked us through, okay? With a God who made us, who knows us, who we can't escape. What do, what do we, how do we respond to that reality? And especially when it comes to prayer, when we engage God in prayer, how, to, how do we respond to that reality? And I just want to remind you that ever since the fall, human beings have had a very complicated relationship with that reality, Okay? That God knows everything, he sees it all, and, you know, it's all there. He knows it all. Ever since Adam and Eve, our original ancestors, chose independence, took that fruit, human beings have had a very complicated relationship with a God who sees everything. And you know the story. The, first, the minute they take the fruit, they recognize that they're naked, they're exposed, they're seen for who they are, they are and they do three things. First, they try to cover up, put fig leaves on, and then they try to hide behind bushes, right? And then when God finds them behind the bushes, they start blame uh, shifting. They start, you know, blaming one another and blaming the serpent for what happened. Okay, they cover, they hide, and they blame. And ever since that, human beings have developed very sophisticated ways for trying to cover and hide and blame with one another and, of course, with God. So we have a very complicated relationship with being fully known. And the great question is, <laughs> is that Full knowledge of us coupled with love, acceptance, approval, or is it coupled with judgment, condemnation, disappointment, right? That, that's, that's everything, right? One, being fully loved and fully, fully known and fully loved, well, that's like, that's the cry of the human heart. Being fully known and judged is one of the great fears of the human heart. And so we all 
bring this, that tension, into our life of prayer. And what I would just suggest today is what, one, what Psalm 139 does, what David invites us into, is this. What if that reality of being fully known is not something to run from or something to hide from or to cover up? What if that is something to just fall back in and embrace and delight in, and, and like, like you would just lean back and, and, and float on water. That full knowledge of me, what if that's something to just fully embrace and just dive into and lean back in? Because David dares to believe, you love me, God. You know everything. You see it all, I can't escape you, and you still love me. He embraces the gospel that he doesn't even know fully in the Old Covenant, but he embraces this. There is no condemnation, right? By grace, you've been saved. Blessed is the one whose transgressions have been forgiven, okay? He embraces the gospel, and he just leans into this, all right? So watch what David does here uh, with this knowledge, and I, I love this. He makes two moves at the end of this psalm. I want you to see this. The first is this. He just honestly shares his heart with God, right? God, you already see it. You already know it. I can't, I can't hide it from me. I can't escape. So I might as well just tell you exactly what's on my heart. And you know what's on his heart in this moment? Anger and hatred. <laughs> Anger and hatred's on his heart. Look at this. Verse 19. Here's the unexpected turn. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you, God, with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies, right? Okay? He shares his heart, and what's on his heart is anger and hatred. We could argue whether it's righteous anger, whether it's justified anger, whether it's mixed righteous and unrighteous. I'm not totally sure. He certainly feels like it's righteous. But it's very unvarnished. It's very raw, <laughs> right? I mean, not many of us talk this way. <laughs> about people in our lives to God, right? But this is what he does. The first move he makes is, God, you already see these things. You already see it. And so as, as this book says, what you see, surely you can hear. <laughs> if you see it, then surely you're okay me saying it out loud and you hearing it from me because you already see it, right? So he just brings out his heart raw before the Lord. And then, and this is what I love at the end of Psalm, he offers that raw, honest heart to God for God to deal with, okay? And this is, look at, look at how this ends. Verse 23, search me, O God, know my heart. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. He, he takes that, that inner ball of anger, hatred, anxiety, restlessness, all that, and says, God, this, here you go. <laughs> you see it? So here it is, right? Psalm, Psalm 31 says, into your hands I commit my spirit. And essentially, that's what David's doing here. Into your hands I, I, I entrust my, my heart and my mind. You, you see it? So it's yours. You deal with it. And notice we've come full circle in this psalm, right? The psalm starts, you have searched me and you have known me. So then, search me and know me, right? You, you, you take this heart of mine and you see it and then you shape it. 
You fashion it. You, you work it in ways that, are, that bring you delight and joy that are in line with your character, in line with your, as he describes it, your everlasting way. And what I love about this psalm, and here's the main point I want, I want to say, David does not take on himself the responsibility for fixing his own heart. Right? He doesn't stop after that anger and say, David, get your act together. Like, that is ugly. Come on, buddy. Figure this out. Bring, you know, figure this out and then bring something better to the Lord. Right? He just takes it and it's like, God, this is your problem. Right? He takes that raw heart and, and brings it to the Lord and he invites God into the reality of his heart. Why? Because God is the only one who can heal hearts. David can't heal his own heart. Right? Only God heals hearts. That's the gospel. And so he brings his messy, broken, honest heart to the one who can change it. He practices the gospel in his prayer life. And I just think, I mean, it's so simple, right? But I think that is such a beautiful model for us today. And so I want to I wanna, um, just turn from this psalm and just make two kind of, I think, real concrete applications to our lives of prayer today. Okay, so I want you to think about how your prayer life works and uh, two kind of issues that all of us deal with in prayer that I think we can kind of follow David's model here. The first is um, <laughs> when we come to God in prayer and there's a lot of thoughts that are ugly okay, in, going on in us, or I'll say sinful, uh, or how about unspiritual, okay? Thoughts that are down there that we probably don't want to share with God, like um, I really hate my kid right now, Okay. Uh, I'd like to have another spouse right now, okay? Very unspiritual, ugly thoughts. Um, or it could be something as simple as, I have, I have absolutely no desire to pray right now. There's nothing in me that wants to pray right now. Or how about this one? Um, I don't even think I want to get over this sin right now, right? Like, I, I'm not even ready to give up this sin, Okay, think, thoughts that, that most of us in our best moments would say there's something deeply unacceptable and, and wrong uh, about that thought. And, of course, we think, well, I, I can't say that to God, right? I mean, I can't say I, I would rather have another spouse. I'm supposed to love my wife as Christ loved the church, right? I, I'm, I'm supposed to um, pray without ceasing, right? I, I can't say these things. And so what we, we tend to do is we, whether we realize it or not, we, we try to manage those thoughts internally, right? We try to work on them a little bit. We try to fix them uh, so that we can kind of bring a a somewhat different version of that thought to God, right? And so we do self-talk. We engage in self, okay, Dave, God gave you this spouse or God gave you this kid, right? Be grateful. You can figure this out. Um, Sin is a bad thing, right? And, And then we try to present that. And I think that especially with like sin in our lives, like I don't know about you, but oftentimes when we're engaged in sin, um, we just say, I, I can't engage God right now, right? Like, I, I'll sin. I just need to create some space between the sin and a conversation with God. So maybe if I feel bad for like three days, uh, and then I can come to God after I've done my penance internally, right? Or at least I need to come to a, a different um, attitude about the sin before I can actually, there's actually a prayer there. And, and I think the problem with that is when we do that, we're actually not practicing the gospel in prayer, okay? We are practicing self-improvement. We're trying to clean ourselves up. We're trying to fix ourselves, and that's not the gospel. (laughs) 
we're not practicing the gospel. We're actually practicing pride. We think, I, I, I want to feel good enough about myself before I think God will feel good enough about me in, in prayer. And so what I want to invite us into is, what if we started praying as if grace were real? Right? What if we started praying as if the gospel were real? That we could bring the full truth of our hearts to the Lord. God, I don't like my kid right now at all. Right? God, I, I really want to engage in this sin right now. And I think I probably will. Okay? Unless you intervene. Right? <laughs> Very unspiritual. Right? What if I, that, that's actually what I brought to God. God, this is it. This is unvarnished me. So this is your problem. <laughs> Search me, right? Know me. I'm trusting. I'm, I'm counting on the gospel here. You see what's offensive in this, and you lead me in the everlasting way because I can't lead myself. That's not the gospel. I'm not going to lead myself in the everlasting way. So I'm going to bring my actual self to you. I'm going to trust that you can lead me better than I could lead myself, right? And I think sometimes there's... I don't know about you, I felt like, is that okay? Like, I feel like if I were to say those things, isn't that like condoning the attitude? Isn't that, isn't that kind of like minimizing it or giving it a v- validity? And I've thought about that. The book makes a really interesting uh, point about that. I love this. Honesty in prayer is not having a lax view of sin, okay? Honesty in prayer is a rejection of dishonesty <laughs> or a lack of transparency in prayer. The opposite of honesty in prayer is sending our good Christian avatar to pray instead of coming to God ourselves. And I thought, God can't forgive our good Christian avatar. He wants to forgive us as we actually are. And then they apply this to anger, which is what David was experiencing, right? Naming our anger does not justify it. I'm not justifying it. I'm just speaking the truth about it. Naming what is true helps us come to him who calls us to a better way, right? In this case, to love, to forgive and to pray for our enemies. So what if we took all those ugly thoughts, and what if we brought them before the Lord and trusted the gospel is real in this moment for us? And God is the one who heals hearts. We don't heal our own hearts, okay? And then one other thought I wanted, this is maybe a little bit less um, significant, but probably more regular for us. Um, what about the issue of, and, this, and the book talks about this, uh, the issue of a wandering mind in prayer. Anybody's mind ever wandered in prayer once or twice? Right? So we all know this, right? You're, you're, you're trying to pray for a friend who's going through a hard time, or you're trying to pray the Lord's Prayer, right? Your kingdom come. You're, you're going through it, and, uh, and your mind is constantly distracted, right? You're thinking about the conversation you had last night. You're thinking about something at work that you've got to do today. Uh, you're praying in your family room. You're looking at the kitchen. All of a sudden, you're realizing you want to do a kitchen remodel, right? And you're, and you're thinking about, okay, how, what would I do, right? And you're, you're two minutes in. You've already had five wandering thoughts, right? And you try to keep getting yourself back to where you're supposed to be in prayer. And after five minutes, you conclude, I'm not a spiritual person, and I I'm really bad at prayer, and that's why I don't pray very often. This is exactly why I don't pray very often. Right? I have friends that, that have that struggle. <laughs> so uh, let me acknowledge it is important to learn how to direct our minds, of course. But uh, what the book says, I love this, says, well, what if, what if we approach it as seeing that a wandering mind is actually a gift? What if the wandering mind is a gift to us? In this sense, the wandering mind is telling us what we actually care about in the moment. It's it's telling us where 
our treasure is, right? To use the language of, of Jesus. Um, I love this quote from Herbert McCabe. Um, people, people often complain of distractions during prayer. Their mind goes wandering off onto other things, and I love this. This is nearly always due to praying for something you do not really much want. You just think it would be proper and respectable and religious to want it. Right? Now, I think that's overstating it a little bit, right? But there's obviously something else that in the moment at least feels much more important to our hearts than the thing that we know we should be praying. And so what if, rather than trying to avoid the wandering thoughts every time, and sometimes we need to control that. But what if we let those thoughts tell us what is going on in our hearts? And we just took that thought and said, okay, God, well, apparently what I actually care about right now is is a kitchen remodel. That's actually where my heart is. So let's talk about that. Why is it that that feels so important? I guess what I really care about is this presentation I have to give at work today. And um, Lord, what do you want to reveal to me about my heart and, and what's going on there. Do I want to look good? Do I really desperately want to please people? Right? Do I want to succeed? What if we let the wandering mind every once in a while tell us this is what our hearts really care about? Maybe let that be the stuff of prayer. Okay, so apparently, Lord, this is what's on my heart and mind. Um, what if we believed God was a father who loves to take his kids exactly as they are? Right? And kids will come to their parents with exactly what's on their heart and mind right there, and good parents are happy to receive that. What if God is that way? So, okay, God, this, this is what's apparently on my mind. Take it. Now search me. Take this thought. Look at it. What, what do you want to teach me? What do, you, what do you want to heal in me? What do you want to change in me through this? Okay? That's the invitation. And I, I can almost guarantee if we, if we start to do this, two things will happen. One is prayer will no longer be boring. Okay? Prayer will be exciting. It'll be invigorating. It'll be challenging. Last week I said it'll be a wrestling match, but it will not be boring because you'll finally be bringing your actual self and your actual heart to the Lord. And the other thing is we might start experiencing the gospel daily, not just, you know, when we think about it every once in a while, but every time we pray with the Lord is an opportunity to experience his grace and mercy right in the thick of whatever we're going through. So that's the invitation. Bring it. Pour out your hearts. God has room. God loves to hear from his children. So let's do this. I want to actually invite us into a moment um, of just kind of presenting our hearts to the Lord. But I want to remind you in this series, if you weren't here last week, uh, throughout this series, I'm going to I'm giving you uh, weekly prayer prompts, okay? So every week, I'm going to have like a Monday, Wednesday, Friday prayer prompt. It'd be like a little question for you to have a 10-minute conversation with God. You might want to journal it uh, or whatever, but so there's some, there's little, um, there's a piece of paper out on the, under the flat screen out there by the foyer, or if you go online, our web, uh, the homepage, you'll find our, this sermon. Um, there's a banner of the Psalms, Psalms from the Heart. You can click on that, and that'll give you the PDF of it. But I, I really invite you into this. This kind of requires having actual conversations with God about these things, okay? So I want to invite you to do that each week. But let's just, why don't we just uh, close our eyes and let's just go before the Lord right now. And I'll invite, invite the worship team up right now. And let's just practice Psalm uh, 139 right now. And why don't you just, what, what is sitting with you most from what we just talked about? Is there an idea? Is there a, a verse? Um, 
what is God putting on your heart? And, and maybe what's on your heart right now has nothing to do with the sermon I just preached. Maybe you haven't been paying attention to any of this. But there's something else on your mind. What is it that is there? And why don't we just take a moment before the God who sees everything, who knows everything, and yet who has said, there is now no condemnation for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Let's present our hearts before the Lord right now for him to speak into our lives. So let me, let me just lead us in the end of this psalm, and then we'll spend a moment of silence. So search us, God. Know our hearts. Test us. Know all those anxious thoughts inside. See if any of that is, is offensive. And lead us in the gospel way, in the way everlasting.